Hello and good morning. Uh, so looking forward today to um, bringing our scripture talk teaching on this Palm Sunday, an important day on the Christian calendar, a day where we kind of commemorate Jesus's last week in his earthly ministry. And so really happy to be with you today. Um, you know, uh, just a quick note before we get into our message. I just want to remind you that Alpha is happening on Wednesday, April the 20th. Uh, this is going to happen post-Easter, and this is such an important program. So if you have questions about the faith, if you are unsure about many things, and you're kind of either on this journey towards knowing Jesus, or maybe you're not there at all, but you do have some questions about what it really means to be a Jesus follower, this is a great program for you. And it's also a great opportunity for uh, those of you who follow Jesus to invite a friend. So we're having this program here, we're hosting it in person and online. I would extend an invite to you and you can spread the word. So if you have been uh, traveling along with us, our scripture talk series is from Kings and Queens, and this is actually part number 10. And uh, we're going to look at Jesus. We're going to call this one today, Come Greet the King. And, you, you know, um, uh, our passage to ponder uh, for this series has been from John 18, uh, verse 36. And it says this, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. And, you know, as we've been saying, this is not just a leadership talk. This is a talk on some persons who are very influential. They were kings and queens in ancient Israel, and they have um, lived their lives in ways that we can learn from both their successes and their failures. This is really helpful for every single one of us. And if leadership is about influence, then we're all leaders. But, you know, as we look back at some of the um, Old Testament, the Older Testament characters and some of the ancient kings and queens of Israel's history, um, we, we come to find out that, I mean, simply said, some were better than others, right? Um, some showed, you know, some exemplary leadership and others didn't, we'll just say. And, you know, David, he stands out among the best of uh, Israel's ancient kings. And, you know, he's quite well known in, in just popular culture. And, you know, he's, he's known, of course, for being just tenderhearted, as Pastor Dave talked about, and um, trusting. And, you know, he, he withstood criticism very well. We touched on that last week. David is a man who loves God, and he does his best. He doesn't, he, he doesn't always do everything um, right, but he does love God, and he does his best. Then there's someone on the other end of the, the spectrum, uh, Jerome, and he stands out among the worst, sadly. And if you remember um, with King Jerome, what happened? He lived his life in such a way that when he died, no one mourned for him. And he just left this poor legacy because of the vicious nature of his character and his actions. And, you know, in the end, they said he, he, he was buried, but not in the tomb of the kings. So there are better kings and queens in Israel's history. But Jesus, who we're talking about today as we're leading into this Easter season, Jesus is the king of Israel that's been prophesied about for millennium for millenniums, right? And so we look back, uh, we can see even in Jesus' birth story, you know, we can look back at all these times to see there's been this people group, this nation of Israel, and they have always known that God is with them. And they've been through such difficult circumstances, but they've always had this hope that God had taught them that they would bring a king, a savior, uh, the Messiah, who what means the anointed one. They would bring that person into their line to actually help their people. And then we go to Jesus' birth story. And in his birth story, we see that 
there are some prophetic messages about his life and what his life will bring. We can see, um, you know, there's this young woman named Mary, and she ends up being Jesus' earthly mother. She, she is um, the one who is conceived of the Holy Spirit supernaturally. And uh, the angel, the angel is just a messenger of God. In, in the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 1, the angel says this to Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And it says, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Every time you get this glimpse of um, these angelic, supernatural beings, when they come in into contact with human beings, it's, it's actually like awe. It's, uh, it brings awe and actually brings a lot of fear. <laughs> that tends to be the response when uh, the natural is encountered with the supernatural. And so Mary's not sure what kind of greeting this is going to be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, right? This, this priestly, kingly announcement. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Wow, right? So Mary is this young girl. She's probably a teenager, and... Um, she has this, you know, this amazing encounter, and all of a sudden, this girl who is uh, is very humble by her own, uh, by her own admission, um, she is just tasked with um, birthing the Messiah, the Savior, who will have a kingdom that will never end, and this is such a an amazing thing. Mary is shocked by this, but it means more to just not Mary personally, but to all of her people. And so we're going to look at really what makes Jesus's kingdom different from the others that we have looked at in this series. Okay, and the first thing first that we see, Jesus, he's the king that we hope for. You know, um, Canada, you know, we're a democracy. Well, well uh, I guess we're actually a constitutional monarchy, technically, right? So we do have the queen as the, as the head of state. And, you know, every time during election time, there is always... Um, for many times, for many times, there's this sense of hope, right? Many of our leaders, they do, our political leaders do try to either um, persuade and encourage us that we are going to either change things to make it better or we're going to keep some things the same that will make it better. And so leaders kind of appeal to the masses that way by saying, you know, they're going to instill some hope in us that tomorrow will be better than today. And that is not uh, any different from um, ancient times. It's actually quite similar. You know, there, there's just this human longing that um, we need hope to keep going on. And what you find in this people group of the Israelites, you find that there are people who have been through so much. And so um, they have had always had this long hope that they've waited for. And it, it's, we look at Jesus' birth, as we saw when the angel went to Mary, Shortly after that, um, there is a man named Zechariah, and he's actually um, the father of Jesus's cousin, John, who became known as John the Baptizer. And Zechariah, you know, upon his son's birth, he gets like this supernatural insight into what's going to take place. And he ties it to Jesus's birth that's upcoming. And it says here in uh, Luke's gospel in chapter one, Verse 67, it says this, it says, Then his father, Zechariah, 
was filled with the Holy Spirit and gave this prophecy. The Spirit fills him and he speaks these beautiful prophetic words of what is to come. He um, is filled by his Spirit and he starts to bless the Lord's name and point people to him. So Zechariah says this, he says, Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty Savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. Now, he says, we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. Wow, this message that Jesus' birth is going to save us from our enemies, the birth of the king that's upcoming. He has been merciful, Zachariah says, he's been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant, the covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. We have been rescued, he says, from our enemies so we can serve God without fear. I love that. In holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. This is just this amazing thing. You know, Zechariah gets this supernatural insight and it's right at happening at his son's birth. And But he realizes that, wait, it's not his son that's the Savior. He realizes that his son is actually going to make way for the Savior, but that the Savior, the Messiah, is coming. And the first thing he says, he's going to rescue us from our enemies. That is hope. That is hope that he's just filled with by the Spirit. And, you know, we, we fast forward to shortly after that, Jesus is born, and the, the gospel writer says he, you know, he's brought to the temple to be dedicated to God, which is just common amongst um, Jewish children, what would happen there. And, you know, his parents, Mary and Joseph, they meet a man named Simeon. And he's just this devout older man. And as soon as he sees uh, Jesus, he sees this baby and he sees his parents, he just says he's been filled with this, this joy and this hope. He says, um, I've seen God's salvation. He says that Jesus, he makes another prophetic message, he says Jesus is going to be a light to the nations. He's going to be a light that reveals God to all the nations. But he actually warns Mary that there's going to be some turmoil ahead. And Mary hears this and she, she takes it. And we, we, we fast forward to shortly after that, just a, another scene later. While Simeon is there speaking with Jesus' earthly parents, Joseph and Mary, there's this woman, Anna, and she has another prophecy. We're seeing all these things be spoken of. And Anna, it says in, in Luke uh, chapter 2, Anna says, is a prophet. And she was also there in the temple. She's the daughter of Phenuel from the, tribe, from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years, and she lived as a widow to the age of 84. So she never left the temple, but she stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. Anna is this woman who is just devout. She is focused on um, knowing God and getting closer to Him. And so that's the picture that we, we're painted with here. And says so she came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. That's an amazing picture. She witnesses this little baby, and she ties it in realizing that this is what God is doing, this great plan to save her people, all the people, and she starts to tell everyone around her, for, to, to everyone who's been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. You see, um, when you see Zechariah and you hear about Simeon and Anna, these are the actions of a people who are in need of a savior, right? These are people who need vindication. They cry out for justice and mercy. And these people know that they're, they know their history. Um, they've been enslaved. They have been exiled from their home. Um, they face persecution from 
every direction all throughout their history. And in Jesus' time, they're back in Israel, but they're actually under Roman rule. They're occupied. And it's this birth of this little child, this, the one who they believe is the Messiah, the anointed one, the Savior. He's the one that gives them hope because he's going to actually deliver them from the hands of their enemies, right? Jesus is the king that they hope for. It's, it's interesting. Sometimes um, in our modern culture, we are so, um, so individualistic. And so uh, there can be a lot of times where we might feel we, might feel we can kind of do everything. Like we have so much technology that enables us to do things that previous generations could only, only even dream of. And, you know, the question begins with all of our technology and all of our advancements, do we think we actually need saving? Um, this is a people group who re recognize their circumstances. They realize that they did need to be saved. And the question is, do we think we need to be saved? And what from? Right? But they see their hope in this Savior that will deliver them, Jesus the King. He, Jesus makes them realize, the birth of this child makes them realize that bondage is no longer their future. Their future has been redeemed. Right? So when we see King Jesus, he actually makes our present circumstances look differently. Um, you know, the thing about hope is it actually makes us look toward a better future, that situations can change for the better. Hope is what keeps us praying for our children when they're going in a direction that we uh, don't want them to go. Um, hope is what keeps us sending out what feels like the hundredth resume on a job application because we do believe that we will get something that we can help to provide and something that fulfills. And hope is what leads us to ask God for healing, um, even when it doesn't look like that may happen in the way that we would like. Um, hope helps us to trust God uh, regardless. And so Jesus, he's the king that we hope for, and he's the king that Israel had hoped for for many, many millennium. So also, Jesus, the thing that makes him different, he's the courageous king that we need. You know, we're going to, we, we go to the life of Jesus and we're going to fast forward to the end of his ministry today, the end of his earthly ministry. And of course, this, this little boy, this little baby that was born grows up to be the man, the God man. And, you know, he has this ministry where the sick are being healed you know, the blind are being made to see, the deaf are being made to hear, the disabled are being made to um, be able-bodied and to walk and move. And, you know, he also has this ministry that kind of turns the social structure upside down. People who are outside of acceptable social um, strata, you know, people like lepers and tax collectors and the poor and women and the disabled, they're actually shown to have a, a whole they, they're shown to have a lot of worth. Jesus actually brings them into the family. He invites them into his family. He associates with people that it wasn't proper to associate with, like tax collectors and like lepers. He touches them. So Jesus is doing this ministry that's just shaking the, that world upside down. It's so countercultural. It's so um, not what people would expect. And so we're seeing all these things happen. And Jesus, while he's doing this, he sets his sights on Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is the, it's the hub. It is the place to be. It's the economic engine of the day. It is the cultural engine of the day, right? And not only that, it's for the Jewish people, it's the most important place because it's the center of worship for all of Israel. And so it's the capital city. And Jesus 
when his ministry is at its highest, most popular point, and also receiving the most, um, <laughs> some of the most um, oppressive points, um, are, he's, he's actually receiving some of the most oppression at that point as well. He sets his sights on Jerusalem. So he, he goes this way. And you have to think, for the disciple friends, the people who are following the growing numbers of the crowds that are following Jesus, they are thinking, this is the moment that we hope for. This is the moment that the king is going to come and overthrow the system. And we're going to um, now be, we're actually going to receive justice now. We're going to be, all the wrongs that have been done to us are going to be righted. So Jesus has this inner circle of friends, uh, some of his disciple friends who are following. And, you know, here in in Luke chapter 18, we get a little insight into what they're thinking and what Jesus is thinking when he's heading to Jerusalem. Jesus, he took, he took the 12 aside and he told them, we're going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. They're thinking, okay, great, you know, this is good. But the next thing Jesus says, he says, Jesus, he says, he, which is himself, will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. The disciples, it says, they didn't understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them. They didn't know. They did not know what he was talking about. The disciples hear this and they're just thinking, "Wait, what? What on earth? What are you meaning? You're, you're, you're going to be beaten and and spit on and killed, and then you're going to rise again? What does that even mean?" The disciples, they cannot picture any of this. They're seeing Jesus' growing ministry. They know that there's oppression. A lot of people who don't like it, you know, there's this battle for authority kind of going on who would have authority of the people. But they just can't even comprehend that this, the words that Jesus is saying, could actually come to pass. So they're in this situation and they just don't understand. They have some false expectations and they just have some simple misunderstandings. And they're not any different from us, right? You know, aren't there things in your life that you don't understand? I know that there are in mine. And there are definitely things that we didn't um, expect, right? These last couple of years, we're just coming out of a season where the last couple of years were nothing like what we had expected them to be. Um, but Jesus is saying that, hey, we can have some of these expectations, but God's plan works in a different way, in a way sometimes that we can't even fathom. So Jesus' purpose is not what they expect. He comes to find out and he kind of says to them, journeying with Jesus, it can bring some hardships and it can bring some unexpected moments. But Jesus says, he'll say it's worth it. So while the disciples are battling with understanding what Jesus means, Jesus is kind of teaching them that he's going to Jerusalem, but he's not going to set up his messianic kingdom right away. It's not going to happen immediately like they had hoped. Jesus is saying that the kingdom, right, it actually means part of this messianic kingdom is to suffer first before and to be rejected before that people can be saved. We come to find out that suffering and rejection is a necessary part of God's plan for humanity to be realized in Jesus. And, you know, sadly, it's one of these things that it tends to be uh, uh, this part of the story for his followers as well. You know, there is suffering that we go through and there can be rejection on this side. But Jesus the thing that is so amazing about him is he knows what's coming when he goes to Jerusalem. Everyone is at, you know, they're so hyped, they're so excited of what the possibilities are to come. And Jesus knows it's going to be very difficult and it's not going to be what they expect at all. And guess what? He does it anyway, right? Um, I, I think they say, you know, courage is, is not, um, is acting in spite of fear. 
there's definite indicators where Jesus was quite nervous about what was coming. And yet he still goes through with it. He is this courageous king that we need. He's actually willing to go and to sacrifice himself for his people because he knows that they need it. That is just this amazing picture of the king who is leading the way, leading the charge, knowing what's going to come and still being willing to give up his life. And he does it. So that's, um, you know, in scripture, it, it also says that, um, you know, God the Father made him who knew no sin to be sin so that we could be made right with God. And one of the things that we see where we, where we understand with Jesus is that he goes forward and it says in Hebrews that because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross. So Jesus goes through knowing how excruciating and how difficult his experience would be in the coming days. But he knows that there is joy on the other side of it. Joy not just for him, but joy for all people. So he's the courageous king that we need. And then finally, we're going to look at this last moment of Jesus's life, the king that we praise. Um, you know, and before this um, triumphal entry as he's entering into Jerusalem, you know, in, in John's gospel, it mentions a couple things that happened shortly before that time. Um, the first thing was he has this uh, amazing scene where he, he actually raises this man named Lazarus from the dead. And it says that Jesus was a friend of Lazarus and he was friends with his sisters, with uh, Lazarus' sisters, Martha and Mary. And, you know, he, at one point, he hears, he's away from Lazarus and he hears that Lazarus died and he goes back to travel to be with um, his sisters. And Jesus, you know, he says to one of Lazarus' sisters, uh, Martha, he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, though they die, they will live. And whoever believes in me will never truly die, but they'll live. And so, you know, he says this and Martha kind of gets it, says, yeah, I know that will happen like one day when, you know, maybe there's a resurrection. But, you know, my brother, he's, he's died. He died now. And, you know, she's still struggling with this. And then Jesus sees um, Martha's sister, Mary. And it says like he was so moved, um, he was so moved, deeply moved in the spirit that he, he saw Mary and he just began to weep. And I think this is just this beautiful picture. Here you have the Messiah, the son of God, who is able to do all things. He knows he's about to raise Lazarus back to life again, but he sees what Lazarus' sisters are going through. He misses his friend and he cries. And, um, you know, in, in our culture, there's, uh, there's kind of a big push for, you know, funerals being called celebrations of life. And I, I think there's good because there's definitely such an important part of how we can celebrate someone's memory and, and the life that they lived. Um, but it's also very appropriate just to mourn. Like Jesus mourns, he cries. And it's fair because it's, those moments are so sad. And Jesus felt that. He's like this personal God who feels it, who has friends and misses them when they perish. So Jesus sees this. And, you know, a, a couple of verses later, we get to the point and Jesus actually raises Lazarus back to life. And he still cried before that, but he brings Lazarus back to life. So that, I say all that to say that happened just prior to, um, prior to this big moment where he's about to enter into Jerusalem. So the crowd, of course, hearing of these sort of things, they are quite excited by hearing of, um, what he's done very recently. So let's look at that scene. Um, and this is, it says uh, in, in John chapter 12 here, it says the next day, which is the day after he was anointed at Bethany. It says the next day, the crowd that had come 
for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They hear about him. They're hearing these magnificent stories. They took palm branches out and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. It means save us, save us now. But it's like this cry of praise, like save us, King. It's like blessing Jesus's name. And they're crying out, save us, King, we praise you. And then they say this, they say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. They quote from Psalm 118. This is scripture that they knew. They quote when, and that Psalm says, you know, Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. It's interesting, right? Success in our terms is not necessarily what success is in God's terms. And we're going to get a little picture of that in this Easter season. Then it says in verse 14, it says, Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, or a donkey's colt. And as it was written, it says, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion, another name for Israel. See, your king is coming seated on a donkey's colt. He quotes from Zechariah 9, verse 9. And, you know, a, a donkey's colt, that's an... That's this image of this of a peaceful symbol. Jesus doesn't ride into Jerusalem on a war horse. That's maybe what they would have expected. The king who's going to overthrow the kingdom of Rome, who's going to overthrow their occupiers. But Jesus takes this humble, seated approach on a donkey, a symbol of peace. And he's, it's quoted here from Zechariah 9. Jesus' kingdom, he's saying, is going to be good news for all the people. And in verse 16, it continues, it says, At first his disciples didn't understand all of this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. It's only afterwards they start to realize, wait a minute, that's what the Old Testament scriptures were saying. That's what Zechariah was saying. They're talking about that moment. Imagine being the disciples. They're caught up in this moment that's been prophesied about for thousands of years, and they realize, wait, we're actually here. It's happening right now. They didn't realize it in the moment, of course, but in hindsight, they look back and they say, that was what um, our ancestors were talking about. And then it says, now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard uh, that he had performed the sign, went out to meet him. The crowd is screaming, Hosanna, save us. Praise you, King. Save us now. And it's not just a select few this time that get insight into uh, Jesus's say into Jesus being the Savior. It's as large masses now of people that are doing this. And of course, like I said, they see the miracles that he's done, and that, or they've heard of the miracles that he's done with Lazarus and other things. But they come to find out, and they come running out to him. And that's what you do. That's how do you greet a king? You run out to meet and greet the king. And they might have expectations about um, what is going to happen, and it won't be entirely true. As you're going to find out, this is the hook for you, as you're going to find out later on Good Friday with Dr. Peter Newman, we're going to find out what exactly that moment is like after entering Jerusalem and what those uh, last days of Jesus' earthly life is like. And then, of course, we'll find out Easter Sunday the good news of the gospel. So here we are. We find Jesus. He is... Um, he's the king that we hope for. He's the courageous king that goes before us. And he's the king that we praise. And we find out that Jesus is a king like no other. Uh, ancient Israel, you know, they understood their history so well. So they're looking at him and they're saying, wow, he's the king that was prophesied over. And if you've been traveling with us along this series, you start to realize and maybe start make some comparisons and you say, okay, you know, there was Saul, right? And Jesus, he's, he's unlike Saul. He's not going to fail the way that Saul did. Saul, you know, there's so many indications that he was quite insecure with who he was. Jesus, though, he's not insecure at all. He's very secure in, in himself. 
And in Luke's gospel, the account of him entering into Jerusalem, it gives us a picture of this because when the um, crowd is just praising him and shouting Hosanna, the religious leaders of the day, they say, stop it. Tell your disciples to stop praising this way because they realize that that type of praise is for God and God alone. And this is what Jesus said. He said, I tell you, if they keep quiet, even the stones will cry out. <laughs> Jesus says, listen, you know what? If the people aren't saying a word, even nature will cry out, save us, king. Even nature will cry out, praise you, king. And it's, it's funny because through, all throughout the gospels, Jesus, um, he heals someone. And then he oftentimes tells them, uh, don't tell anyone about it. Don't tell anyone about it. Just kind of go and, and go off. And then what happens? The people do the exact opposite. They tell every single person that they can find. And Jesus was kind of uh, slowly, progressively um, letting people know that he was the Messiah. But in this moment, he says, no, no, no. Here is the moment. I am secure in who I am. I am the Messiah. And Jesus says, let the people praise me. He is quite secure, unlike Saul was. He's, uh, Jesus is a greater uh, king than Solomon. Solomon was quite wise, but as, we, as I, I spoke about a number of weeks ago, uh, Solomon didn't embrace the limits placed on him. He lived outside the limits of God that were good for him, and he just blasted through those bounds, and it really ended up hurting him, and it, hurted the people, it hurt the people that he, um, that he led. But Jesus, though, as the Son of God, he actually embraces the limits. He takes himself from the heavenly throne and confines himself to a human body, he lives the way that we do. He has to be dependent upon his heavenly father and, you know, guided by the spirit. And then also that, you know, he has to defend on human beings. He invites humans into his, his, um, his friend group and his group that's going to help spread the good news of, of his coming. He invites humans who betray him. He's, he invites humans who say that they're going to be with him until the very end. And of course, when things get bad, they're out of there. And, you know, he embraces the limits. And so that's something that for us to learn. Jesus, we, we heard about Esther. Esther was this, this um, beautiful queen for her, or, and she was known for being beautiful for her, her um, character, right? And she, you know, she's so courageous. She's willing to die for her people, and she tries to intervene for her people. But Jesus is even more so because he knows exactly what's coming. He knows he will give up his life, and he still does it anyway. And even David, right? David, who is this man after God's own heart, um, you know, he handled criticism very well, as we, Pastor Dave spoke about last week. But Jesus, unlike David, he never did anything wrong. And when he was criticized, he didn't even utter a word. We'll see that in the coming, in the coming days in this series as well. And um, there was one king that uh, Pastor Kristen had spoken about, Rehoboam. And he was the guy who just listened to his friends, to the homies. And he was Solomon's son, and he listened to his friends who told him to be even harsher to the people than his father was. And it hurt him, and it started to fracture the kingdom. But Jesus, he listens to the wise counsel of, the, of his heavenly father and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus makes all the right decisions. So what's our response? Jesus is the, the king. Our response is like the crowd there. Our response is like Anna and Simeon when they were at the temple. They run out to greet the king. That is our response. Run out to greet the king and then walk with him into the holy city. And like Anna, we tell people about him. So if you are following Jesus, you have a great opportunity 
this week especially in this Easter season to tell people about Jesus. Invite them, invite them to our Good Friday gatherings, invite them to our, um, our Easter Sunday gathering, invite them to the Alpha program that we have. Tell people that he, that Jesus is the king we hope for. He's the courageous king who did everything that we could and let him, uh, and let him be known as someone that wants to be greeted and wants to know them. So let me, uh, let me just pray for you today as we end. Heavenly Father, we thank you, dear God, that um, all these examples of flawed men and women, dear God, they, they did their best and um, Lord, we can learn from both their successes and from their failures in this series. So they teach us a lot about ourselves, Lord, our propensity to go left when we should go right and our, our desire maybe to, um, to follow you. But Lord, there is no king but you, Jesus. And we thank you, dear God, for being the king that's been spoken about for thousands of years. The king, Lord, that has a plan and is willing to see it to fruition so that all people can be brought to know you. So, dear God, we just pray that um, you'll give us the courage to follow you. We'll pray that you just give us the courage that when life doesn't go the way we expect, that we can still trust you. And dear God, help us to have eyes and ears that are just open to the fact that um, you have a greater plan than what we can envision. But Lord, let us be like Anna, who when she sees and realizes that you're the Messiah, she tells all the people around her, Lord, help us to be like that. So I just pray for each and every person here that they will come to greet you, they'll come to know you, and they'll come to tell others about you. So Lord, be with us in this Easter season. We pray that uh, you'll, you'll guide us and you'll do a great um, work that we can't even see coming. We ask all these things in Jesus' name.